Good morning, church. Great to see you all. Hope you're well. Welcome to Union Chapel. I'm Greg Paris, and we're thrilled that you've chosen to be with us this morning. We're in the middle of a series we're calling Life, and we're talking about issues of relationship and unique challenges of life. Today, we want to talk about wealth, uh, resources, money, that sort of thing is relevant to all of us. You can't talk about the subject of life without considering money. Next week, we're going to talk about work, life and work which is relevant to all of us. And then the last week of the series, in two weeks, we're going to talk about the meaning of life. Some of you may be confused about life's meaning. We're going to address that, and I hope it'll be meaningful to you. So today we uh, want to look at one of the great characters of history named Solomon. King Solomon arguably was one of the most wealthy men who has ever lived. You could argue that he was the wealthiest man who has ever lived. And not only was he wealthy, but he's also wise. God divinely gave this guy wisdom and the ability with words and with writings. And so today we have one of his writings here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to read a few verses from Solomon's writings so we can learn about wealth and how to understand it better in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm going to begin at verse 10. If not, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to recognize God's word in our lives by standing to honor God's word. So as you're able, would you please do that? So King Solomon wrote, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of others, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I've observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And may God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. As I mentioned, Solomon was the wealthiest man and probably the wisest man who has ever lived. And from him, we can learn uh, much about the subject of wealth. Today, I want to Consider three things that Solomon teaches us. They're on your outline. What we hope wealth will bring to us, what we discover wealth really brings, and then finally, what does God want me to do with the wealth that he gives me? So Roman numeral one on your outline, it's this. What do we hope wealth will bring? Now, this is really universally true, and Solomon's on to something here when he says that we hope wealth will bring more satisfaction. You need the, the word satisfaction. Simply, we hope wealth will bring us more fulfillment, more happiness, more contentment, more satisfaction. We say to ourselves, if I just had enough money or if I just had a little bit more, then I would be 
happier, more fulfilled, more satisfied. But here's the truth, and it's right there in your, in your outline on the bulletin. No matter how much money you get, your yearning power will always outlast your earning power. Can I get a witness to that? Isn't that true? Our yearning power always tends to outpace our earning power. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, you will never be satisfied if you long to be rich. You will never get all you want. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone who desires to increase and to, and to, and to do better, be more successful, more prosperous in life, that they're not going to be satisfied. But it does mean that if the singular desire of your light, life and heart is to be rich, then it will never get you to that place of fulfillment. It just won't do it. It's foolishness to think that wealth brings happiness. Ecclesiastes 5.10. So there's a tendency for us as human beings, our human nature is to think that we have just a little bit more, we'll be happier. But it's not true. It does not bring satisfaction. Here's something else we hope wealth will bring, and that is more significance. More significance. Now, some of us succumb to this. We wrongly believe that people will respect us more if we have more money. They'll ascribe to us more power or prestige or status or position if we have money. Here's the truth. This is very important for some of you to hear. Your net worth and your self-worth have nothing in common. Your net worth and your self-worth have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with your self-worth, your actual value as a person. Your value is not based on your valuables. It's very important to know that. What, what you have says nothing about who you are as a human being. Wealth will not bring you more satisfaction, and neither will it bring you more significance. It just won't. Luke 12, 15 says a man's true life is not made up of the things that he owns, no matter how rich he may be. So the stuff that you possess has nothing to do with your intrinsic value as a person. You have, you have ultimate and eternal value, intrinsic to who you are as a human being, as God has made you, uh, regardless of how many assets you may or may not have. You're a valuable person. So it won't bring you more significance. Here's the third thing. We hope wealth will bring us more security. Now, we, we identify with this, don't we? Yeah, we have the idea or hope that money will bring us Security. The real question then that needs to be asked if you actually buy into this notion that it'll bring you security is just how big does the pile have to get before we really feel secure? You know, how big does the pile need to be? It's a great question. Proverbs 23, verse 5, Solomon said, Your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Some of, you, some of you may know that on the back of the $1 bill, there's an eagle with a wing spread. How many of you discovered that your dollars fly away from you and you don't even know what happens? Does anyone get that sensation? What happened to all this money? We just got paid. Where did it go? And it flies away from us. It's amazing how it happens. Here's the truth of it. Whatever you place your trust in, watch it now, or whatever you are looking to for security, that becomes your God. Whatever it is becomes your deity. God, though, wants us to trust him uniquely for our provision and to look to him for our security. That's God's desire for us. Now, now remember, Solomon is the wealthiest and the wisest man who's ever lived. And you say, well, just how wealthy was he? 
he had, he had more of anything you can name. Name anything that a human being can experience in this life. He had more of everything than anyone who's ever lived. He has some perspective on this subject. So that leads us to the second Roman numeral on your outline, which is what does wealth really bring us? What does it really bring us? There are things that we hope it brings, and it really doesn't deliver. So what does it really bring? Number one, wealth brings more expenses. More expenses. It costs more to have more. It costs more to have more. If the grass looks greener on your, on your neighbor's property, it probably just means he's got a bigger water bill because he's watering that thing. And that, it costs something to have that. Ecclesiastes 5.11 says, the more money you have, the more you spend right up to the limits of your income. And that's exactly what we find to be true. That most people, the vast majority of people, actually spend as much as they make. With very rare exceptions. And of course, in American culture now, we have this upside-down culture where people are actually intentionally spending more than they make. That's crazy. By the way, that's crazy. If you're in the room today and you don't know if you're actually spending more than you make, then you need help. You need, you need to take Financial Peace University when it's offered here at the church. You need to form a budget. You need to know where your money is going. This is, this is called prudence and wisdom and diligence. And, and you want to be more careful about that. Here's another translation of Ecclesiastes 5.11. The richer you get, the more mouths there are to feed. It's true. The richer you become, the more people you have to have around you to take care of you and your stuff. For example, you have to hire an attorney. You have to get a tax consultant. You need a financial advisor. You need an accountant and, and other freeloaders like these. <laughs> no, so, so I'm just trying to, that's a joke. I'm just trying to have fun. There goes the attorneys out the door. Stop it. Wealth brings more expenses. Here's something else Solomon knows about this subject, that wealth brings more worry. More worry. Ecclesiastes 5.12, a working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much that he stays awake worrying. Think about it. The blue-collar guy punches a clock. He punches in, he punches out. He goes home to his wife and his world, and at night he sleeps well. But the wealthy guy... He comes home, and his, he's still worried about the big deal he's got to get closed, about his market share, about his investment portfolio, about the payroll, about the overhead, about the inventory, and all this other stuff that he's still worried about. In fact, more wealth adds worry to your life. Everybody in this room is basically wealthy by every, every standard. If you, are, if you own a home or you're buying a home, then you're in the upper 6% of the world's population. If you own a home or are buying a home and you own a car, you're in the upper 3% of the world's population. If you own or are buying a home and you own two cars, you are one percenter in the world's population. That means that every last single one of us in this room, by any measure, are rich. We're all rich. We're all wealthy. Our, our richness and wealth is relative to each other. But we're all wealthy and rich. So it's important to have that, that perspective. It's important to know that. Several years ago, I didn't have any interest in the stock market. None whatsoever. Why was that, do you suppose? I had no investment in the stock market. 
now our denominational pension fund is all invested in national and international stocks. All of it. So now I'm very interested in the stock market. Very interested. In fact, I get quarterly reports about how my little sum of money is, is doing. So when the, when the markets crashed in 2008, I could see immediately how much money I'd lost. <laughs> I mean, on a given day, the markets went up 30 points. I can tell you how much money I made, approximately. Or someday the market went down 200 points a day, I can tell you how much I lost that day. Why would I be fussing about that? Because I, I have it invested in this way, and so I worry about it. The more wealth you have, the more it causes you to worry. That's the nature of the beast. Here's a third thing. If it's lost, that is your wealth, will bring you more pain. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 14 and 17. Risky investments turn sour and soon there's nothing left. It's all swept away. The rest of his life, he's under a cloud. He's gloomy, discouraged, frustrated, and angry. <laughs> now, leaving aside the obvious pain of losing a great sum of money, that's painful, but let me ask you, have you ever felt toward money any of the ways that are described in these two verses? Let me say those words again, defining words. Have you ever felt gloomy, discouraged, frustrated, angry about money? Nod your head because it happens to us. We feel that. Uh, virtually all of us has felt, have felt these emotions toward money. And it indicates the importance of addressing the issue of money from a spiritual perspective. If all of you do is see money and wealth from a natural perspective, it is just going to cause you stress in all kinds of different ways. That's why it needs to be addressed from a spiritual perspective. It's important to us because it impacts us every day. Just a reminder that Jesus talked more about money than he did virtually any other subject. He knew that that that. This was an important issue that all of us would have to deal with on a daily basis, and it would consume much of our time and much of our energy. So there's a lot of pain in dealing with it, and especially when it's lost. Now, here's the fourth thing that wealth brings us. According to Solomon, who knows a little bit about it, he said that it brings more responsibility, that is, to use it wisely. Jesus said in Luke 16, 11, he said, if you are untrustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now, did you hear the question? If you are untrustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? It's a great question. In other words, if you can't be trusted with earthly wealth, how can you be trusted with true spiritual influence? There's a tremendous responsibility to use wealth wisely. It's incumbent upon those of us who have wealth. Now, when you think about it, the life that we're living right now in the world, on this planet Earth, living in these Earth suits, this is really a testing ground for us, if you think about it. There is a, there's a lot more life ahead of us after this Earth than there is currently on the Earth. I mean, we're just, we're just a moment or two here, and then eternity awaits us. All of us, every single one of us, are going to be alive somewhere a million years from now. Going to be alive somewhere. And so this life is really a test. And one of the great tests of life on the earth is the test of wealth. In fact, I can't think of a more 
explicit and practical and poignant test than the test of how we manage our wealth, how we steward the things God gives us. It's such a big deal because God wants us to trust him. God wants us to submit to his work in our lives to shape us into the image of Christ. I say this frequently, and I want you to hear it again. The single highest goal, primary purpose of God for your life is to shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. He wants us all to be more and more like Jesus. That's his highest goal for us. And so, so we, we, want, we want to submit to that work, and part of, part of the process of growing into the image of Christ is to learning how to trust God with all the details of our lives, including the wealth that passes through our hands, and to submit to his work, shaping us and molding us into a, a Christ-like character. So money is a test. And our lives are dominated with money in so many different ways, so it's a subject that we should rehearse with one another in the church frequently. We should remind each other how important this issue is. Let me ask you this question. Um, do you think that there's a reward in heaven for accumulating a lot of wealth on the earth? Is there any recognition in heaven for being rich while on the on the earth. And here's what I can tell you. You can search the scriptures for even one verse that would indicate some kind of special recognition in heaven if you've been able to accumulate a bunch of stuff on the, in, the, in the world. And, and you will not find a single verse that references that. So no. No, Ecclesiastes 5.15 says it this way, we leave the world just as we entered it, with nothing. Solomon actually said this way, when you're born from your mother's womb, you're naked. And when you die, your hands are empty as well. You're naked. Or if you live south of the Ohio River, you're naked. But either way, you're leaving with nothing. And so we have to have perspective on that. So the only way to transfer wealth from here to there is to invest in it in things that are going with us there. And the only thing that's going to last forever are people. So the best use of your life, the, the best way to influence and leverage whatever assets and resources God places at your disposal while on the earth is to do so influencing other people who are the only other things that are going to last forever. And as I mentioned, all of us are going to be somewhere in eternity. A million years from now, we'll all be alive. Now, there's... A, there's not only this notion of investing in, in other people so that they can be influenced in a hopeful way for eternity by knowing Jesus, but there's also the notion of the development of our own character, our Christ-like nature. And so not only are we going to take people with us and the influence we have in people's lives into eternity because of the stewardship of our lives, but we're also, watch it, watch it now, we're also going to take us. A million years, you are going to be somewhere. This, this whole idea that, well, you know, I, I, I kinda, I'm, I'm just kind of slopping along in this life and I haven't done very well and I don't make good decisions all the time and I, I do know Jesus, you know, and I want to I serve God and I want to submit to his work in my life, but, you know, I, I just, I'm weak and I get, I get confused real easy and, and I have a lot of compromise in my life and, you know, I don't always do the right thing, so I'm just trusting in God's grace that someday when I get to heaven, he'll, he'll sort it all out for me. What are you waiting for? 
a million years from now, let me just tell you, you will be there. You will be there. <laughs> this whole idea that as soon as I die, you know, as a Christian person, God's just going to God's just going to shape me into his image immediately and I'll just be a perfect person and I'll float through eternity in some perfect state. Hmm. You are going. You are going to heaven. You're taking you and your story with you. And so why would you, why would you presume that God's just going to magically change you into the image of Christ after you're dead when this is the time that God calls you to submit to his work in the shaping of your Christ-like character. Well, I know, I know I was stingy and kept my fist tight and, you know, I just had this poverty mentality the whole time. I grew up poor, so I just couldn't turn loose of anything, so I never really helped anybody else. I just took care of myself and tried to make myself feel good thinking I was secure because I had a few bucks in my pocket. You'll be taking you and that attitude with you. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. You don't want that. And so God calls us. God calls us to be more responsible with our wealth and ourselves than that. Well, um, use what you have and use it wisely now, not later. Last point now, Roman numeral two. So therefore, what does God want me to do with the wealth that he gives me? Number one, he wants me to be grateful be grateful. Ecclesiastes 5.19, if God gives a man wealth and prosperity, he should be grateful and enjoy what he's worked for. It is a gift from God. Did you hear that phrase? A gift from God. And the first phrase of that verse is, if God gives a person wealth and prosperity. Deuteronomy 8.18 actually says, it is the Lord that gives the power to get wealth. It is the Lord that gives the power to get wealth. So be grateful. Be grateful. Be thankful. This is, the, this is the effect you have when you sit down before a meal and God has provided for you this, this abundance of food. And the right response to that is to be thankful, to be grateful. There, there are some folks who, who imagine that wealth just happens to people who get lucky or, or have the right connections or grew up in the right family or have the right opportunities. And all those things kind of line up, of course. But listen to me, ultimately, if a person acquires significant wealth, it's because of the gift of God. It's the provision of God. It's the Lord who gives a person power to get wealth. Folks don't get lucky about this. It's the gift of God. And that doesn't mean that they're special or, or, they're, or they're unique and they're set apart for some reason. It's just simply that God has given them a, the gift of wealth. And I just already convinced us earlier that everyone in this room is rich and wealthy by any measure of earthly standards. And so the right response to this gift of God to all of us who are wealthy, is to be grateful. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you so much. And then number two, we should be glad. Not merely grateful, but glad as well. Ecclesiastes 7.14, enjoy prosperity whenever you can. And when hard times strike, realize God gives one as well as the other, so everyone will realize that nothing is certain in this life. And so sometimes there are seasons, and sometimes more money comes and other times, other seasons, it's not so, so available. And so God says, look, be glad when you have a few extra dollars. It's a wonderful thing. Nothing is certain, especially money, so be glad. Be glad about that. 
Now, it's on your outline. I want to put it up on the screen. Come back to me here for just a second. Those of you who've been drifting off into some other uh, place in your mind, listen to me. This is the summary statement I'm about to give you. The whole sermon can be summarized in this next statement. So here, here it is. So if, if you haven't been paying attention up to this point, if you'll just catch this one statement, then you can go back to sleep. And, but you'll have something to take with you because this is the, the summary of the whole sermon. I could have just given you this and let you go home, but that wouldn't be proper. So we have to go through the whole sermon just to get to this point. And here's the point. Happiness isn't getting what you want. Happiness is enjoying what you have. There you go. Now just let that soak in. Happiness is not getting what you want. Happiness is enjoying what you have. Let that settle. Let that just get inside of you. Happiness is not getting what you want. It's enjoying what you already have. Now, that statement speaks to every single person in this room, especially me. See, if you live your life always wanting something you don't have, you're never going to be fulfilled. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be content. If you always need something else, why not just be happy with what you have? Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something more. It's a great verse to memorize just before you go online to buy something you don't need. It's so easy to spend money now, isn't it? I mean, just a few clicks and they bring this stuff to your door. It's amazing. Pretty soon the drones are going to be, you know, hauling pack, dropping them on your head. Folks are going to be going like this. Drones will get in the church someday and deliver some, somebody's fresh checkbook to them so they can write a nice check. <laughs> Happiness isn't getting what you want. It's enjoying what you have. And here's the third thing. So be grateful, be glad, and thirdly, be generous. Be generous. Remember, money is a test. Money is a test of your character, your faith, your conviction, whether or not you trust God, you really do trust God with your life. I don't know anything that more clearly reveals where a person is in their spiritual maturity than how they handle money. It is a great indicator. It's why I love, 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 love to teach on this subject because nothing better penetrates right to the core of who we are as how we manage the wealth that God gives us. There, there just isn't a better indicator. It's, it's one of the best measures of how we're doing in our relationship with God, submitting to the work of his Christ-like shaping of our character, our faith, our trust, our convictions. All of those things are clearly seen in the expression of how we deal with wealth. And if you're ever going to be like Jesus, and I believe you want to be like Jesus, because I, I believe you, you do, here's something that you're going to be like. You're going to be a giver. You're going to be generous. You're going to be open-hearted and open-handed. That is what you will become if you become like Jesus. Open-hearted and generous, gracious. Gracious with your words. Generous with your time. Generous with your resources. Generous with your influence. Generous with whatever asset God has given you. You'll be gracious about that and generous and open-hearted and open-handed. The more like Jesus you become, the more generous a person you will be. So let me ask you this. Are you stingy? 
Are you a stingy person? Does it strain you to give? Does it strain you to give? Does the offering time in the church annoy you? I mean, today we couldn't make it any easier, any safer. I mean, I mean, we got a guy on a video saying, okay, time for the offering. So here come the offering buckets. And then we turn the lights down so low no one can see what you're doing. And the buckets pass by. I mean, you could put your hand in there like you were putting something in and not even put something in. It's too dark for anyone to even tell. How easy is it? Make it just as safe and as comfortable <laughs> as we can. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, give generously because your gifts will return to you later. 1 Timothy chapter 6, instruct those who are rich in this present world, that's you and me, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good reputation for the future that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So be generous. Store, store up treasure up there. Be willing to share. So the question then ultimately comes to this, why does God want us to be generous? Well, we're more like Jesus when we're generous, but what's really going on there? Well, you could say, well, there's lots of needs, and when we give, you know, needy, needy folks get help and get encouraged, and, and that's good, isn't it? That's like a good work. Good works are good. By definition, it's good. So good gets done when we're generous, and so that's certainly a value in it, but I don't think that's the primary value. And then you could say, well, this is an honorable thing to God. You know, God gets glory when we're generous and we do good things to help other people. And you say, well, yeah, that's, that's good. God's praise and worship should be a focus of our lives. And indeed, it should be. And all of our lives should be a reflection of worship and adoration to God and honorable living. So that's a, certainly a value to being generous and being good. But I don't think that's the primary reason why God wants us to be generous. When good gets done and God gets glory, those are good things. But I really think that ultimately giving isn't about what it does for others. I think ultimately giving is about what it does for you. That's what I think. I think that the effect that it has on individual lives when they become open-hearted and open-handed is so profound that it's the primary reason that God wants us to be generous. Because of the things that happen in us and to us personally. It does great things. Things that nothing else can do. Things that nothing else can even come close to doing when we are generous. Let me ask you a question. When you saw this video with, uh, uh, with one of our small groups and this initiative that they started with these children's Bibles, how did you feel after you saw that? Did you feel good about that? That's a feel good, isn't it? Why, why do you feel good about that? Because it makes you feel like you're part of something that's really helping people, helping children, giving God credit. That all feels good. That's all right. Let me tell you what the most, the most gratifying, the most fulfilling, the most satisfying posture in that whole story is. The people who actually did it feel really good and experience all kinds of positive effect in their lives and in their relationships. 
because they acted in a generous way. Yeah. And the same will happen to you. The number one reason why people walk around all in a stupor and all discouraged and having to use mind-altering drugs to, to change their mood is because they spend so much time focused on themselves that they live in a perpetual state of gloominess and sadness and discontentment. The happiest people in the world are people who are giving their lives away in service to others. The happiest people in the world are generous people. It's just, just the truth. And I'm preaching to the choir because we have lots and lots and lots and lots of generous people here. So I hope this is affirming to you and encouraging to you and that you'll want to go out and be even more generous as the days unfold. Here's the last point I want to make. Not only should we be grateful and glad and generous, we should be godly. In other words, put God first. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God in money. You will either hate the one and love the other or vice versa. So here's my question. Does your giving pattern indicate that God is first place in your life? Is the way you live your life indicate that God is first? Is the way that you live open-hearted, open-handed in your life, does it indicate that you're generous? Yeah. One last story, a Christian businessman, true story, who owned a number of cable networks. He was very wealthy. He paid for the services of a very well-known financial consultant. And after spending some time with the secular consultant, the consultant wrote two things on a piece of paper. And he said, after hearing you talk, I have discerned two primary values in your life. He said, one is money and the other is Christianity. And indeed, the businessman was a Christian. And so he said, before I can advise you about your money and your future, I have to know which one of these two you want to be your controlling value. And once I understand what you want to be your controlling value, then I can advise your financial future. And the businessman said, I want Christianity to be my controlling value. And from that time until this very day, he has lived his life seeking ways to be generous rather than ways to pile up a bigger pile. So happiness, friends, ultimately is not about getting everything you want. Happiness is actually about enjoying what you have and being generous along the way. Did you get it? Did you get it? I hope you got it. This is life, and this is wisdom from the wealthiest guy who ever lived, Mr. Solomon. So let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for these important words. Thank you for allowing Solomon to live his life and to write down these beautiful thoughts, these words of wisdom, these writings that help instruct us in godly living. So help us each one, I pray, to embrace this truth today, that happiness isn't getting everything we want, but enjoying what we have, living as whole people, open-hearted, open-handed to those around us. Help us, God, to follow in these steps, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Would you stand with us now?